When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. It's Friday, it's the final Football Social Daily of the week and it's a show dominated by Manchester City and Chelsea, largely due to the fact Raheem Sterling has agreed to swap Manchester for London and sign for Chelsea for £45 million. Massive news in the Premier League transfer window. Are City right to let him go and just how much of a difference could he make at Chelsea? We'll tackle that on today's show as well as looking at how the move impacts Manchester City who have had some serious personnel changes already this summer with more potentially on the horizon will we see a new look City and a new look Pep Guardiola next season one face who Pep is chasing is Brighton's Mark Kukurea but will the Seagulls be willing to let him go we'll get the thoughts of Brighton season ticket holder Russ from the Brighton Rock podcast who will fill us in on exactly the mood around the Amex Stadium this summer Welcome to Friday's FSD. I'm Niall and today with me a man who did the opposite of Raheem Sterling and swapped the big smoke for the slightly smaller smoke of Manchester many moons ago. Jim Salverson. How are you doing, Jim? Yeah, I'm good. Cheers, Niall. And also with Jim, someone who I think's never been further south than Stafford Services. Marley Anderson. <laughs> right, Marley? <laughs> Only on fleeting visits and decided I quickly hated it and came back uh, came back to the comfort of the north. But It's, it's yeah. too warm and too posh for Marley, so straight back up. <laughs> not <laughs> enough Greggs. <laughs> yeah, there's not enough Greggs. What is it What is it up where you live in the sort of the northern borders, Marley? Is, is it like one Greggs per ten people or something? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. Nah, um, where I'm actually from, I'm pretty pretty sure there was only a, a KFC in a subway in like 2000 and sort of 12 ish, like when I was just leaving the the county to go to university. But yeah, over in over in Newcastle, there's 29 um, Greggs in Newcastle city centre. So it's uh, it's wow. It's there's something for everyone as long as you like pasties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have yeah. you ever heard that stat? Have you ever heard that stat about London where, because because there's such a massive rat population in London, they say you're never more than two metres away from a rat at any point when you're in London. Yeah. I think that's the situation with Greg's in Newcastle in the North East. You're never more than two metres yeah. away from a baked sausage it's roll. It's funny, like in, in the train station, you've, there's a Greg's in the train station and you walk out the, uh, the doors of the train station, they slide open and there's another Greg's just right in front of you and it's like, Oh right, but the stereotype <laughs> is true. Like you, you walk out, you just see another one. You're like, what? Welcome to Greg's Social Daily, where we've got Newcastle fan and Greg's <laughs> aficionado Marley Anderson, who who, uh, who knows all about Greg's by the sound of it, uh, and Jim Salverson, who's a West Ham fan. And just before we move on and talk about Chelsea and Raheem Sterling and this Manchester City deal, you have signed someone, Jim Flynn Downs. Is he going to be tucking into? pie mash liquor and some jelly deals in the east end or do you think it'll be a little bit more uh, a little bit more contemporary than that i think he probably already does because he's born and bred west ham he's grown up as a west ham fan and he's talked already about how much of a dream it is to come back and play for the club look it's one of those players that 
I think we've signed a little bit under the radar. I don't think too many people knew about him, but it sounds like he had his breakout season at Swansea last year. And it's one of the situations where everyone goes, oh, we've signed this player and suddenly everyone is an expert and talks about how it's the player that they dreamed of signing this window. I don't believe that's the case for many people. But to all intensive purposes, I think we've signed a Mark Noble regen which is pretty cool because it's exactly what West Ham needed with Mark Noble leaving the club. We needed the new Mark Noble and he looks like Thomas Suchek. He plays like Mark Noble. I think he could. I mean, he's 23, which I think sometimes there's an overemphasis on youth, isn't there? In football, we always look for the the next talent. And sometimes you look at a 23 year old and go, well, why hasn't he made the step up already? But I think some players just develop later. So there is a chance. I mean, who knows what kind of quality he's going to turn into, whether championship was his level or whether he is going to follow in Jared Bowen's footsteps and be able to step up at a kind of slightly later period in his career. But I, I'm for 12 million quid, I'm happy for West Ham to take the chance on him. And he looks like a, a, a decent player to add some depth to the squad. I think statistically he had the highest pass accuracy of any player in the top four professional leagues in England. Mm. So I reckon someone in the scouting department has gone, let's get up the charts and see who's got the best passing record in the leagues. And just gone and said, ah, we'll buy this guy. Yeah. Um, there could be an element of that. But it's certainly interesting to see how he does, particularly as it took Jared Bowen kind of six to ten months to get settled in at West Ham and make the step up. Will it be the same for Downs? We'll wait and see. He's signed for the Hammers from Swansea. And another English player who is set to make a move, but it hasn't been confirmed yet, but all of the newspapers and all of the websites are reporting this, is Raheem Sterling is going to be switching Manchester City for Chelsea for somewhere between 45 and £55 million. That's the fee. What do you reckon, Marley? Is that good business from Chelsea, considering the numbers that Sterling has put out over the last six, seven years? He scored over 100 Premier League goals, a number of assists as well, a number of trophies under his belt for somewhere in the region of 50 million quid, let's just say. That's a pretty good deal, I think. I think this is a great deal. Um, There aren't many players that come around of Sterling's quality and age. For, for such a what I would describe as a small fee like 45 million down payment and 55 if, if certain things happen which we're not quite sure the details of but I mean Sterling scored over 100 Premier League goals I think he's got 107 in total or 109 um, you know he's been in the Premier League for his entire career you know been challenging for titles at City for a long time won four Premier Leagues won every trophy there is to win except the Champions League um, and then to want just forty five million for him, if you look at, I mean, look at forty five million as a as a fee now, and what does that get you now? It gets you half a Harry Maguire, gets you just over half of a Nicolas Pepe, and half of a gets you a, an Aaron Wambasaka. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it gets you a Fernando Torres from twenty twelve. <laughs> well, <laughs> if he goes down as well as him, then then fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, it's it's a really good move, I think, for Chelsea. Like, I'm not sure, quite sure how he's going to fit into the team. I think the the system will will have to change a little bit to to get the best out of him. But you know, for for that price, you know, you'll never get a more established player than than Raheem Sterling for for that kind of fee. If you're if you're going and signing the next best winger from a foreign league, it'll probably cost you sixty or seventy, and and you're taking a massive chance on him. But with Sterling, there's a little bit more guarantees. Um, and as long as Chelsea don't give him the number nine shirt, he'll, he should be all right. Yeah, I mean, Raheem Sterling, as you say, is is someone who's played for big clubs and put out really good numbers and is of an age in which he can still make a big difference to Chelsea, Jim. We'll come on to what the impact might be on Chelsea shortly, but do you think it's the right time for Sterling to move on? He's had a number of years now at Manchester City. He's won trophy after trophy after trophy, a number of Premier Leagues. He got some flack, actually, when he moved from Liverpool to Man City at the time. But he's become one of Pep Guardiola's most reliable players, particularly when it comes to the numbers, as I say. So do you think he has reached the end of the road at the Etihad and it was the right time for him to depart? I'm not sure there's ever really a right time to leave Manchester City because do you want to walk away from as close as it is to a guarantee of silverware every single season, because that's what you get with Manchester City at the moment. I think it comes down to 
how loved he feels at the football club potentially and why he's looking for that new challenge because he's featured regularly for Pep Guardiola since he came from Liverpool to Manchester City and I think his numbers have been absolutely superb in terms of goal involvements, assists and goals that he contributes every single season. Even when he's had what we'd term off seasons, he still delivered decent numbers. But I don't know whether he's felt loved by the fans and I don't know whether he's felt particularly over the last 12 months trusted by the manager because he missed out on the big Champions League games, didn't he? He wasn't involved in those matches. He was left on the bench. He's not figured as much this season as maybe he has in previous seasons. And every time I've been to watch football at the Etihad, he gets so much criticism from the fans that are there. There seems to be a portion of fans that love him, but there's equally a portion of fans that really don't like him as an individual, don't like him as a player. They think he's wasteful and they think there's better options out there. So I think it comes down to being trusted and loved and that's why he's looked for this move away. So in terms of his career and in terms of him getting silverware, there's obviously less chance of him picking up at Chelsea than there is at Manchester City. But in terms of him looking for what he wants, and I think he wants to be playing week in, week out, he wants to be adored by the fans, I think he will get that at Chelsea because I think he'll slot... I mean. As Marley says, we don't quite know what style of football Tuchel's going to want to play at Chelsea next season, but bringing in Raheem Sterling suggests there will be a slight shift. But yeah, I think if he is instrumental, and if he, I get the impression he will be a pivotal point of Tuchel's plans. So he should be playing week in, week out. And as we've said, he's got the numbers that suggest he will be able to deliver on that. I think most of the City fans that I've seen or spoken to on social media have suggested that he will go down as a bit of a city legend but there were question marks as to as to whether that would be the case I think you're right there is probably a section of supporters that do think Sterling probably didn't hit his full potential I think his best season came in 18-19 which is three or four years ago now and um you know, he's got over 100 Premier League goals but how many times have we said on this podcast if only Raheem Sterling could finish like his finishing is is not the best so imagine if he could finish how many goals he would actually have I liked what you said about him feeling loved because allegedly, Marley, this is what swayed him to join Chelsea when there was interest from other parties. I think Barcelona were linked and a couple of other clubs, maybe Real Madrid as well at one point, were linked with Sterling. But the fact that Chelsea privately and publicly have said how much they want him to join the club and arrive at Stamford Bridge and make a difference, that's why he's decided to make the switch. So... Do you think that that's a positive thing for him? And second of all, compared to what Chelsea have already got in that sort of forward department, is he better than what they have? Um, he's probably better than what they've got, to be fair. Um, I think Chelsea have got... I, mean, keep, I keep saying this point till to, to to I'm tired of it, but they've got so many options, Chelsea. They just need they need to thin that out somehow because they can't... It's, it's bad practice to keep all these players on well over 100 grand a week and... You know, Pulisic is still there, and Havertz and Werner, um, and Pulisic, um, Hudson Adoy, and then you know Mount and Gallagher's coming back, and you've got all these like all these players to fit into a system. And Ross Barkley still there as well. Yeah, <laughs> and they've just got about three hundred and five loans coming back at once as well, and saying, "Oh, I still play here," and having to take a register of who they are. Um, it's mental, but actually, yeah. the amount of team players they have that you class as first team players mm. in that Chelsea squad. Not just in the positions that Raheem Sterling is looking at. And we know Raheem Sterling can play on the left or the right side. And there's a fair bit of competition in those places. But right the way through the squad, every position, apart from centre-back, Chelsea have three or four even options. You're right. They, it's, it's because of the way the club's been run with the bottomless pockets that Abramovich has that they've ended up in this situation where they have that many players on first team wages, but that can't continue surely under the new management. Part of their job this summer is to thin that down a little bit. Yeah, definitely. They need to need to pick five or six and go, or well, pick the sort of the front three and then go right there. They're our front three because they probably still want another striker. They've sold Lukaku. So, and there's rumors about Werner leaving as well. So they probably still want to add to that even more, which suggests they've got to, got to, get rid of someone or at least two or three I, I would suggest but you know and they've got the defense to sort out so there's still plenty to to do at Chelsea but I mean starting with Sterling I think this is I think it's a good move for everyone because they get someone that's probably better than what they've got and someone that's a little bit more reliable than than a Ziyech or a Pulisic especially with Pulisic's injuries 
Um, and he's been even he's been linked with Juventus in in recent months as well. So could he be fancying a move? Um, maybe maybe we'll see that happen in towards the end of the transfer window if 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 at all. But you know, there's um, there's there's wins for everyone in this move. I think Sterling gets a fresh start and gets to be a bit more first choice because Guardiola couldn't uh, couldn't guarantee him the games ahead of Mares and. Alvarez and Haaland coming in and then Grealish and Foden and you know all the other options they've got Cole Palmer coming through as well his development is something that they'll keep an eye on um but yes yeah, so I think everybody sort of wins a little bit with this um I don't quite get the stick from from the city fans um I know he's not the best finisher but he's still been an incredible player over the last 6 or 7 years that he's been at been at Manchester City um I think we did a I've just checked this morning actually we uh, posted something on our sports social Facebook page, and it ended up with about four hundred comments, and at least three quarters of them were City fans saying negative things about him. Like, oh, he's you know, thank God we've we've got rid of him. That's a lot of money for a guy who can't finish and doesn't affect games. And then you look at the stats, and he's tenth on the all-time top scorer list. And it's like, how can you not have that respect for a player who's who's done that? If he's missed chances, mm. fine. But he's scored tons of goals as well. Like he scored 131 goals for Manchester City. Like, and you're saying he can't finish? Well, you know, yeah. the proof's in the pudding there. You know, the the only two players that have scored more goals under Pep Guardiola as a manager are Sergio Aguero and Lionel Messi. There you go. They're both all right, aren't they? Hard hard to argue with, isn't it? When you put it like that. So. And they both know. ended up related as well, didn't they? Aguero and Messi in a strange way. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think. Messi's Aguero's kids' godfather, godmother, or godfather, <laughs> something like that. Some sort <laughs> of relationship obviously. there. Um, yeah. Jim, last season you tipped Chelsea to win the Premier League title. They added Lukaku. Lukaku's now gone. So much can change in a couple of weeks in football, let alone twelve months. I'm not asking for a Premier League prediction for you right now, but what I'm saying is that with Abramovich out of the building, you've got this new owner Todd Bowley who's come in and seems to be taking this hands-on approach. With transfers, he seems to be the one that's pulling all the strings. Petr Cech has gone, Granovskaya has gone behind the scenes and all of this sort of thing. The one thing they have managed to keep, though, is their manager, Thomas Tuchel, mm. who has won things with Chelsea and he's got them to finals. Do you think they're in a position to challenge for silverware still this season? Do you think they're still strong enough as a club, despite all of the off-field changes that have taken place? Very broad question, isn't it? Uh, are they in a position to challenge for silverware because... Things like the League Cup are a complete lottery and you never know who's going to go for it, who's going to put a full team out. And if Chelsea wanted to win that, I'm sure they'd go deep into the last stages of it. But they're going to be nowhere near the Premier League title this season. This season for Chelsea is about steadying the ship. And as we've said already, you look at their squad. It's not a complete squad there at the moment. There are holes in it defensively, particularly in the centre. They don't look particularly strong although they appear to be fending off interest on Reese James by offering him a new him a new contract which will be important if they do want a challenge in the future but they do desperately need some strong center backs they're overly blessed with wide players they don't really have a center forward at the moment so there's work to be done on that squad to be anywhere near challenging and you don't create a title challenging team by taking your fellow challenging team's second best player in a position, do you? Like Raheem Sterling with the best one in the world, and he will do well at Chelsea. He's not going to change the fortunes of Chelsea. Neither will signing Nathan Ake. It's, it's not just not going to have that kind of impact. So I think for this season, Chelsea just need to steady the ship. They need to set a new course and they need to replace some of the players that they've lost already this summer and thin out that squad and get rid of some of those wages. Yeah, there'll be more Manchester City and Chelsea talk uh, next up in the podcast. We'll probably focus more on City from from here on out, just purely because there's been so many personnel changes there. But I think with Chelsea, you know, it's one of those things where they desperately need centre-backs. And so signing Sterling and signing these other players is fine, but they just need to strengthen in a specific position. Reports suggesting actually today that Chelsea are willing to rival Manchester United for the signature of Frankie de Jong, as well as trying to sign Juventus's Matisse de Ligt, two former Ajax players. And there's talk of a possible reunion at Stamford Bridge with those two players potentially coming in. Hakim Ziyech as well 
is another player who played actually under Tenag, coincidentally, in that Ajax team that reached the later stages of the Champions League a few years ago. So lots of rumours flying around, I'm sure, by Monday, which is our next edition of Football Social Daily. We'll know a little bit more about all of those transfer deals. But that's it from the Raheem Sterling talk. He's agreed to sign for Chelsea, not yet confirmed, but probably by the other side of the weekend. We'll be seeing Sterling unveiled in that blue Chelsea shirt rather than the blue of City. And it is the blue of City we'll be talking about next. We'll be talking about their chance for business. They might still bring some more players in. They also might lose some more players. All change at the Etihad. We'll talk about it after this. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Whilst it's pre-season, Monday, Wednesday and Friday are the days to look out for when we release new shows. You won't miss one if you hit subscribe. And we're only a few weeks away now from the start of the Premier League season, which kicks off on the 6th of August. And from then on, we will have a new podcast every single day of the Premier League campaign right until the end of the season. Um, uh, About 10 months from now, the World Cup as well taking place. We'll have all the latest gossip for you and all the big news and opinions on this podcast. So however you listen to your shows make sure you hit subscribe we're going to talk now about Manchester City though we've just discussed that Raheem Sterling has left the building he's one of a number of players who have departed this summer Gavin Bazunu and Romeo Lavia have both gone to Southampton Porro has gone to Sporting in Portugal Fernandinho has left Jesus has gone to Arsenal and as Jim mentioned before the break possibly Nathan Ake is also going to be leaving the club to go back to his former club Chelsea incoming Alvarez, Haaland, two very exciting young forward players. Calvin Phillips, a goalkeeper, Ortega, potentially Mark Kukurea all in. Now, when you've got a squad of players as talented as Manchester City's, Jim, you can expect some movement in the summer window. But usually we don't see this much. How much of a change could this make to Manchester City next season? How much of a disruption could it be? Or do you think Pep's got it all under control? I mean, the business that City have done on paper looks like it makes perfect sense doesn't it Fernandinho was reaching the end of his career there's been a straight replacement there with Phillips Haaland's come in they desperately needed a centre forward last season so they've added that to the squad Alvarez feels like he's probably going to be vying for that position that Raheem Sterling has left absent and Ortega coming in he's a great understudy for Edison with Stefan potentially I don't know if he's left or whether he's potentially leaving the club but there was certainly he's on loan at Middlesbrough yeah. he's on loan so he's left so they, they kind of everything makes sense from a Manchester City point of view and Cucurella I think is a great addition to the squad as well I wouldn't expect to see him as an instant first team player but he's certainly going to act as backup for the the, the other options they've got there so I think the business makes sense and I think what they've done in every single position there is either upgraded who they had previously or taken a few years off the person they had previously and bringing someone who can then stay at the club for three, four years into the future. My concern about Manchester City when they've done this amount of business is how long it tends to take Manchester City players under Pep Guardiola to settle because you very rarely see them make an instant impact. They have to be reprogrammed by Pep Guardiola. They have to be brainwashed into his way of thinking and then they start to make an impact on the team. We sort of uh, Mares when he came in we've seen it with Jack Grealish when he came in so whether these players can hit the ground running or not is a bit of a question mark the good news 
for Manchester City is they have managed to get him in early doors. So they've got him in before the start of the pre-season games. So they have got an opportunity to get a few matches under their belts before the season starts properly. But I think on paper, the business makes sense, particularly from a financial point of view. And the idea that they've developed these players in the youth system with the intention of eventually moving them on and making profits for them that goes back into the transfer kitty and we're kind of that's always been City's intention but last season and this season we're really seeing it start to come into fruition because these players are reaching harvestable age I guess you'd call it but yeah I mean from on paper it all makes sense how long the players take to adapt I think is going to be the big question mark as to whether City will well I mean it'd be very difficult to see City not challenging this season while it but how well they play and how quickly they fit into that City lineup. Yeah, we'll come back on to that in a minute in exactly how they might change the way they play. We'll do that shortly, but first I want to pick up on what Jim mentioned there, which is that Manchester City model. I think it's easy, isn't it, Marley, to look at Jack Grealish signing for 100 million players of the stature of Erling Haaland coming in, Calvin Phillips, a well-known Premier League player, and think, oh, City are at it again. They're dipping their hands into their pockets and they're splashing the cash. But if you look at the players who have left, Bazunu and Lavia have gone to Southampton for a combined £20 million. I don't think either of those two had made first-team appearances. Uh, Porro's gone to back to Portugal for £8 million. Sterling's 50 uh, Fernandinho on a free. Jesus, I'm not quite sure, was it £60 million for him? And then Ake, we don't know how much that could that could cost Chelsea to sign him. So actually, when you break it all down and you, and you look at net spend, which seems to be one of the buzzwords around the game these days, the City model, they spend money, but they also recoup it. It's, it's self-sustainable in, in, in a way. Yeah, they do. Um, I think this is one of the biggest wins of... of... Guardiola's reign so far this this summer. If if it all works out in terms of on the pitch next season or or this season, you should say, um, you know they've they've both won on the pitch and they've won big off the pitch because you know the sales themselves by selling basically Deadwood, you know I think they made twenty seven million from Bazunu going um, and Darko Giabi to to Leeds, who I've literally never heard of in my life. Um, and Romeo Lavia as well to Southampton. You know, there's 27 million quid there for for guys, the three guys that have not made a Premier League appearance between them. And, you know, that's half of the the Erling Haaland fee. It's pretty much more than the Alvarez fee. And, you know, people talk about, oh, yeah, what about the fees added on? Well, it it doesn't matter because them that's coming out of the 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 pockets of, of the owners who have got all the money. Like, if you can make back the transfer fee, for basically almost nothing or at least subsidised. You know, you, you're doing well. Um, and then you add into that, Sterling going, Ake possibly going, um, players that have gone in the in the, in the the past 12 months, like Ferran Torres for, for, for 50 million quid. And you, you're selling players like that, for, you're selling squad players for 50 million. Like, that's that's staggering. Like, that's another team's, um, you know, huge part of, of their transfers um, kitties for the next two or three years if you sign a £50 million player. But, you know, City are selling squad players worth worth that. And because they're having so much success, people will line up and uh, and sign players who haven't played anywhere um, in the Premier League for for quite big fees. Like Gavin Bazunu, like obviously you know all about him yeah. uh, with him being at Portsmouth. But... Judas, you know the guy's <laughs> never kicked, never kicked. He's never kicked a ball in the championship. No. Never mind the Premier League. And ten million they've got him, sold him for. And they, yeah, ten ten million. I mean, I'm not saying he's not worth it. I'm just saying like people will pay that fee to to find out. But this isn't luck. Let's let I me mean, let's be clear about this. It's not complete luck though, from City's point of view. I mean, there, there's questions like Ake was intended to be a first team player. Raheem Sterling has been a first team player. That happens in football. Sometimes it doesn't work out, and players move on. That's one thing. But Manchester City have been deliberately buying players to move on for fees. Like these guys that have just left the trio you're talking about. I, I, I'd, I'd imagine there was never any intention for them to get anywhere near the first squad. They weren't bought in with an intention of developing them to a point they would be in the first team. They were bought in with the intention of developing them to a point that they'd be able to sell on for a fee, which is... I'm not sure I, I agree with that, I don't think we've really that, seen Jim. it before. I, I, really? I agree with that to an extent. I, I know what you're saying, and I think that there is an element of that, but I think... If Manchester City is as rich as they are, if they can save 100 million quid by developing the next Jack Grealish rather than signing him, 
How much would Phil Foden cost mm. Man City now if they bought him? It co- it cost 80, 90 million pounds easy because of his age. Oh, I'm not, I'm not and saying how good they he don't, is. I'm not saying they don't want to develop players. I'm saying I don't think that's necessarily the case with these. these no, I, three. I understand. I there's, I understand. There's, there's two models going on there, isn't there? Yeah, and I think that if they are good enough, they'll keep them. And if they're not too bothered either way, then they're happy to sell them on. And I think that that's probably where where we lie with it. Mm. But. You know, Marley's right. I mean, Bazunu and Lavier and these players and, and Giabi have all sort of taken the under-23 league by storm. Yet, you know, they, they've not had a loan deal or a loan move out. And are they really going to break through into that first team? Probably not. So maybe it is time to move on. And I think it's only fair for these young lads and their careers because you see what Chelsea do. They they tend to hold on to players for ages, don't they? They loan them out five, mm. six, sometimes even seven times without playing a single game for the first team. And then... They end up being sold at the age of 27 and their kind of career at the top level is is sort of fading away from them. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting, the City model. I mean, in terms of the actual style of play and the tactics, I mean, it's so easy to second guess Guardiola because I think he second guesses himself half the time, Mali. But they won the league last season with no recognised centre forward. They've now signed Haaland, who is one. They've signed Alvarez, who can operate as one, but maybe might fill one of those wide roles vacated by Sterling or Jesus. Phillips, who's coming to replace Fernandinho, but I'd argue Phillips is far more mobile as a midfield player than Fernandinho was. And Kukurea potentially coming in too. So do you think we might see a change in style of play from Manchester City? I think we'll still see it played on the ground and we'll see a lot of quick, fluid passing and stuff like that. But do you think it might be a slightly different look in terms of the tactics next season or do you think it'll be the same old? Yeah, I think um, I think there'll be more flexibility because... If you're looking at at what they've they've lost, like Sterling is obviously going and Phillips has, has came in, um, so you may be looking at City and thinking, could they play with a, a bit of a double pivot a bit more, um, and a bit of a narrow uh, narrower midfield, like a four man midfield with Phillips and uh, Rodri holding, and then De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva operating just ahead of them, like in sort of attacking midfielder type roles, and then pair. Uh, Haaland and Alvarez up front at times, and have have all the width come from the the fullbacks as it usually does with uh, with Cancelo and Walker and Zinchenko or whoever's playing or Cucurella if they get him. Um, but yeah, I think it it just gives him another option. I think I think obviously you you always associate Guardiola and Manchester City with a four three three, and I still think that'll be his his go to formation. But you know if things aren't working, I think they've now got more of a style. That can make them. Uh, that can make them a bit, a bit different, and give them give give them something else with, with uh, with the players they've signed. With you know Phillips's energy in midfield, could be, could work really well. I think it does work in a double pivot. We've seen that from, uh, with with England when Rice sits and holds, and Phillips goes and chases the ball around the pitch, and you know snaps into people and and sort of sets that press off quite high. Um, and that'll have massive trans transforming effects on, um, on from where he's come from Leeds. He's played a similar system under Bielsa. He knows how to play this high energy, high tempo style stuff, um, and it'll uh, it'll only benefit Man City, I think. My next question and my final question on this one, Jim, was going to be similar to what I asked you about Chelsea earlier. Are Chelsea in a position to challenge with silverware? I mean, you've already kind of mentioned it. City are almost always going to be in the title picture, even if they have significant changes. So I'm going to deviate away from City and ask you if they're still title favourites, even at this early stage, and ask you more generally about the wider Premier League, because we have seen a number of changes off the pitch at Chelsea. We've seen a number of personnel changes at Manchester City. We've seen the likes of Sadio Mane leave Liverpool and players like Darwin Nunez come in and, and you know new players like Luis Diaz and they're going to get a full season under their belts. Manchester United have a new manager and we don't know what their situation is going to be in terms of transfers. Things still cooking away there. Arsenal have made some additions like Jesus. Tottenham have been serious in the transfer window for once and they've got a world-class manager and someone even in the sports social office the other day I'm not sure whether it was kind of tongue-in-cheek but suggested Tottenham could be serious contenders this season and that's not even taken into consideration they've been drinking yeah I'm not surprised probably drinking grappa if it's the person that that we're thinking of but um yeah it's um it's really interesting landscape at the moment in the top flight don't you think and that's before we even get into the 
the discussions about your club and the new teams like Forest coming up. It, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of teams that are in for want of a better phrase transitional periods as well that we don't really know what to expect from. I don't think anyone has done enough this season to get close to Liverpool and Manchester City in the title race. I think it's going to be a two-horse race again. It's going to between be between those two. I think Liverpool, Mane is a big loss, but they've done well to replace him before he even went with Nunes coming in, in over the winter. So I do think there's not going to be a huge change at the top, but Arsenal's business has been really smart and they do still feel like they're in a transitional period. It does feel like Arteta is still shaping that squad and bringing in youth, but I think they'll do a little better next season. Manchester United, I think they there's still so much work to do at that squad level and at club level and at boardroom level. If they lose Cristiano Ronaldo, who knows what's going to happen to them, but I don't think we're going to see him going the right way up the table. I think the only team that we're likely to see potentially challenging the status quo or disrupting what we saw last season, this sticks in my throat to say it, is Newcastle. Because... We know they've got the budget. Really? Yeah. I mean, because when you when you look at what they did at the latter end of last season. So you're season, telling me, and I, and I don't mean to disrespect Marley here, you're telling me you think Newcastle are more likely to finish in the top six than any of the other teams you mentioned? Or am I putting words in your mouth? No, there? you're putting words in my mouth slightly. <laughs> I think they're, they're the only team that's likely to challenge what they did last season and be a potential challenger for the top six. So I don't think they're nailed on to disrupt the top six by any challenge but I think when we look at the teams that are in there the traditional teams so what Chelsea Arsenal um, I'm reluctant to mention Manchester United even in that mix at the moment Tottenham potentially even West Ham I think Newcastle are probably the team that's going to challenge for that but just you look at what they're doing this summer and the players that they want to bring in and the players they have bought in and you compare that to the form they had the latter half of last season like on form alone they're already challenging in and amongst the top six so if they can add some key personnel then i think they're it's potentially i think i'll just just step in to inform you there we were the third best team from january on well that's what the, i mean Premier League. only liverpool and city took more points and it's slightly different isn't it because when a team backs against the wall and they're kind of rallying against something you do get a level of improved performance and Newcastle won't have that this season. They're not saving themselves from something. So it is slightly different, but the evidence is there to show that on their day, they can beat most other teams in the league. Okay, Marley, just quickly before we um, move on to talk about Brighton with Russ from the Brighton Rock podcast. Are you in agreement with Jim? Surely you're not expecting a top six tilt this season, are you? Uh, No, I don't think so. I think... Like me personally, I'd be happy with with the top ten finish um, and something to build on. Because if we finish in the top ten, then next summer we can attract, you know, better players for the for the push, you know, um, and and fill in the the gaps in the squad. I think people forget that uh, Eddie Howe's still only had six or seven months in charge. He's still he's still sort of remaining loyal to who he's got um, in in his in his uh, in his squad that. And he's still sort of making final decisions about players, and you know um, whether they should they should stay or not. And I think we've still got a fair bit of dead wood in the squad to to give us uh, to get rid of, and then give us more depth by signing some some better players. But um, yeah, I I think really like ideally, my target this season would be to nick that Conference League spot. And uh, everyone everyone doesn't really want the top. Uh, all the big six don't want the, the Europa League. Uh, Europa Conference League spot, but if you've never been in Europe for like seventeen years, I think it is. You know, we we would take it. We'd snap your hand off for it, and we'd be we'd be packing out Pyoxalonica in Greece and <laughs> Limassol in friggin' Albania or whatever it is, and you know Tirana in in far eastern I mean, Europe. And Newcastle stuff. And then, United fans take their tops off in sub-zero temperatures. What do they take off when it's like 30 degrees in Greece? Oh, you do not well, I, don't even, I, think I, I think I want to see that broadcast on telly. <laughs> well, if, if you've ever seen, if you, well, if you remember last season when we played Oxford in the FA Cup, um, there was a, a fella who took slightly more off than, he's, than just his top. Um, it, might be, it might be a repeat of that. There might be helicopters flying around Greece, the, the unidentified helicopters that uh, air traffic control didn't quite pick up, but no, it's um now for this season. I think it's the thing that intrigues me is like how when it's a completely blank playing field, how 
do we stack up in terms of form and carrying on that form because there's no there's no like um guarantee that we're going to continue to be as good as we were in the second half of last season because as you mentioned you know we had to get away from relegation and then once we did that we had the the momentum and the and the free hit almost to to crack on and try and get into the top the top 10 and we nearly did that at the end of the season I think we ended up two or three points off the top 10 and if we'd have beat Liverpool or Man City in one of our last three games we'd have got that but obviously that's a big task so it's um it's just one step as a one step at a time really I think our squad's good enough for top 10 um if teams fall away as we as they have done in previous seasons um you know Man United Man United's collapse Brighton flirting with the the top eight West Ham hanging on a little bit in the top eight and not massively sure West Ham are going to be as good as they were last season or the season before next season um, so it'd be like a challenge to finish sort of above them, and and if you do that, you're probably saying you're in the top top eight. Well, one side who did finish in the top ten last season, Marley's already highlighted them, is Brighton and Hove Albion, their highest ever finish in any season since they were founded many, many, many years ago. Remarkable time to be a Brighton fan, an interesting time to be a Brighton fan as well. Uh, a few ups and downs last season, mainly ups, of course, and to talk us through it, we're going to speak to Russ from the Brighton Rock Podcast, which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We'll do that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to luckylandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Now, throughout the summer, we've been catching up with fans from different Premier League clubs just to check in and see how things are going ahead of the new season, which kicks off in early August. And to be honest with you, there isn't many better places to be in the summertime than down on the sunny south coast. And I don't mean a city that's known for importing fruit and vegetables. I mean a proper seaside city with a beach and a pier. Brighton is where I'm referring to and Brighton and Hove Albion have really established themselves as a Premier League club in recent years. Something that probably would have been tough to imagine just over 10 or so years ago when the Seagulls were in the lower reaches of the Football League. So how are the fans enjoying the ride? Well, let's find out from a Seagulls season ticket holder now. As joining us on Football Social Daily, we've got Russ from the Brighton Rock podcast, which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Russ, how are you doing? Hello. Yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Excellent. Good to have you with us. And you've been watching Brighton since 1979, I think. Yes. And last season was your highest ever finish. A pretty exciting time right now to be a Seagulls fan. Absolutely not. I think I'm, essentially I should quit now, really, because my first season <laughs> was, was the first season of the top flight. And we have four good years there. Well, four years surviving, I should say. And then, of course, it's all gone downhill from there for, for several decades. Um, mm. But the last what, five years going into a sixth year now, we've been in the top flight. As you said, our best ever finish in this particular mm. season just gone. Um, yeah, I, sh- I should stop now, shouldn't I, really? It can't get any better, can it? <laughs> well, funny you mention you know, how much the club has changed, really, in the time you've been following them. Because we have Dean Hammond, a former Brighton captain, who comes on the podcast sometimes. And he said to me before the end of the season that, you know, it's still a great club and the fans are still the same, but it's almost unrecognisable in terms of its image, the new stadium, everything around it, the professionalism. You know, I remember him telling me that when he was made captain at 21, you know, some players were uncertain when their next game would be and there was a lot of trepidation around the club. How nice is it now to be able to to think back to those times and almost reminisce, but not with any concern or any anxiety about it? Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely loving where we are at the moment. We've been on a hell of a journey um, fighting to get even the temporary stadium before the one we've got now. And mm. I mean, Dean would be able to tell you more than I would um, that about the training facilities. We've now got world-class training facility, which is up there with Man City and Spurs as I think the best in the country. Um, and at the time he would have been playing, I think, 
I'm not sure about the timelines, but um, we were training at the university um, and with potholes in the pitch and, you know, shared facilities. And um, I just remember someone I know turned up in some Brighton shorts uh, for a Sunday league game. And I said, oh, where'd you get them from? He said, oh, I nicked them from the <laughs> university because um, the players were playing on the next, you know, on the next um, pitch over or something. And you think that, yeah, it's a world away where we are now. Obviously, the stadium itself as well and the football. Uh, but that, that that training facility, the academy, the way they've brought on the women's game as well. There's so many different things to be proud of with the club. And we've done it the right way. We've had to sit and watch clubs jump ahead of us. Derby tried to and didn't quite work. Bournemouth did. Palace did with a bit of luck, unfortunately, against us as well. Um, but we've had to sit there and take it and carry on with our slow but progressive building model, which Tony Bloom, the chairman and owner, has, um, has instigated. And it's um, it's showing that, um, you know, the, the longevity project that this is, um, is the right way forward because we've built on solid foundations and um, it's just been going in one direction ever since. You mentioned all of those positives like the infrastructure and the training ground and stuff. How much of a positive has Graham Potter been since he's arrived at the club? Because when Chris Hewton was relieved of his duties a few seasons ago, there were a few whispers of, of it maybe being quite harsh and Brighton are, are perhaps maybe sort of batting above their station a little bit. Why are they sacking Chris Hewton? They've only just survived. And then Graham Potter came in and finished in a similar position but we can see from a neutral's perspective just how good a coach he is. How loved is he by the Brighton fans? Oh, he's hugely loved, yeah. I think everyone appreciates what he's doing, the brand of football that he's been able to project onto the onto the team now. Um, I was one who did think it was the right time for Chris Hewton to go, and I'm not somebody who's very trigger-happy in their sensibilities at all, but I think I'm, I would say I'll probably speak for the majority that either ostensibly or deep down knew it was the right time to go it's a shame for Chris he did a brilliant job for us you know you could argue one of our most uh, successful managers uh, in getting us back into the top flight and staying there for a couple of years Um, but it um, it did feel as if it was going stale and you could see the warning signs were there that it wasn't just going to be a a short-term thing Uh, I think the thing with Tony Bloom is you know he's completely got the best interest of the club at heart and with him he's he he's not stupid at all he by no means he's faultless at all because nobody is you know he's still learning about the football industry from the running point of view um and there's been mistakes along the way appointments that haven't quite worked out but you felt it was going in the right direction and with chris he certainly was a certainly a means to an end in terms of getting us up and keeping us up for a couple of years but it did feel that it did need to go in a different direction for us to survive um, I actually think he could easily have got sacked um, a few weeks earlier. There was a couple of games which were the nadir of our bad form uh, against Cardiff and Bournemouth that year, where we were easily beaten at home by two of our relegation rivals, um, which at the time looked like that could be fatal results as well. And it would have been very easy for a manager to have been sacked in that situation. Uh, but Tony did persevere to the end of the year and um I think it was necessary to make a change. Um, it's proved to be the case over time. But for Graham, in terms of Graham, I think he's fantastic. The way he handles the media, the way he handles the players' expectations, the motivational factors, his, his ability to change tactics within games. Again, as with Tony, you know, he doesn't get everything right, but you can see there's a, a very carefully thought out thought process that's going on with everything he does and obviously the personnel's changing and getting gradually better there's a system in place now for succession planning and progression through the ranks or players being signed in and being integrated quite cleverly I think and very carefully um, through the system and that helps but ultimately I think Graham is is just a fantastic coach and manager. Uh, I've met him on one occasion when he first joined us at a fans forum and, you know, nice bloke as well, came across very well. Um, and I think he, we've, we've kind of found our soulmate, I think, in terms of he's the managerial equivalent of, of Tony Bloom. <laughs> I think the beard as well. I think as soon as Graham Potter <laughs> yes. started growing the beard, Brighton just seemed to be all business from there on out. Um, it was a really positive season last year, as we've already touched upon. There was one moment of perhaps negativity which drew a few headlines which was a home draw against Leeds a goalish draw at the Amex were you there Russ because there was a fair bit of audible booing and Graham Potter as much as we've we've praised him just there and how he deals with the media and deals with the press he wasn't best pleased after that game was he with what he heard from the stands he certainly wasn't and yeah I was at the game um I'm in the west upper which is the the upper tier of the main stand where the camera tv cameras are same side as that which is also where the dugouts are and I think there was more booing 
it's hard to tell obviously inside the ground but i, I yeah. got the impression there was more booing in areas somewhere fairly close to where i was than elsewhere but obviously that's the, the nearest bit to where graham is i would say it was definitely um a minority a, a very much a minority and i think it was born out more of frustration at um the results the the lack of success with the results itself rather than anything to do with performances because we were battering in terms of match play we were battering the likes of newcastle leeds and arsenal actually in the game against them with the same result the goal of straw um which um or draws anyway and which was infinitely frustrating for everyone i think it was just an exhalation of frustration from certain should we say less um less able to cope fans, I suppose. Um, I think it, it, it made me irritated, I have to say at the time, because I thought, uh, while everyone's frustrated with the result, you know, ultimately, you can see we're playing well, we're just lacking for finishing on the on the pitch. The only other time, actually, Graham made a, a slightly spiky comment was in regard to, oh, more recently than that, was um, to do with fans shouting shoot, which I'm sure you've noticed has become a bit of a modern phenomenon anyway. I've done that many a time, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was saying, that, you know, it's putting them off or putting them under more pressure to shout that. And it's it's obvious to all people, no, not least Graham, um, that um, finishing had been an issue. And obviously that then <laughs> manifests itself in fans shouting uh, shoot and also booing if they get really frustrated. But I, I didn't like the whole affair really i do think it was blown completely out of proportion um i think really because because graham looked tangibly irritated on the touchline you could see him mouthing they're booing can't believe it or something like that um and obviously they picked up on it and it's it's one of those things that gets in the media and gets um put out of proportion but um you know i I think the overwhelming majority of fans were completely happy with graham or at least fairly happy with graham even during that frustrating long period of draws which is where that match took place and you talk about faith i'm sure that the supporters have faith in graham potter's ability to find the right players to fit the brighton way and you may need to search for some replacements this summer because Mark Kukurea has been heavily linked with a move to Manchester City. How impressed have you been with him since his arrival at Brighton and it looks like he could be on his way out and how much faith do you have personally Russ in the powers that be to replace him adequately next season? What a player he's been. I mean, his first season he came in not in the very first game of the season but he came in I think it's against it was Brentford away I think one of the first games anyway and he got completely um Novel by somebody um, down on the touchline, <laughs> halfway line, and I think I think it was Lewis Dunk went up to him and said, "Welcome, welcome to the Premier League" or something like that. Um, and you wondered how he might be, um, but he has, in a very short number of games, settled into his stride, and he's gone on to be, I think, the overwhelming choice for Player of the Season from all quarters. Really, just I know in terms of you know the local media, the people behind the scenes at the club but also all of the fans I've, virtually everyone I've spoken to has him down as their player of the season so to do that in his, his very first year in England in general um, settling into a new environment which we hear when he scored the goal against United towards the end of the season uh, there seemed to be a release of, of stress that he's had in terms of settling into the area getting his family settled um, which you wouldn't have realised from the way he'd been playing so We've absolutely loved him. We don't want to lose him after only one season. I know the club are very keen not to sell this summer, even though we have a policy of sell one big player. We've obviously already done that with Basuma, which was a pretty much a scheduled, planned scenario for this summer. There wasn't a plan for Kukurea to go. We know Man City and others have been sniffing around. Um, and if they do want to buy him, it's going to go right through the nose uh, because Tony Bloom is as tough a negotiator as anyone out there. People talk about Daniel Levy, but Tony Bloom and, and his team are the same. So if, if he goes, it's going to be for a huge amount. Um, I hope it won't be this year. I hope that the club will be able to do what they've done before, which is to persuade him, as I've done with others, to have one more season, see how it goes and... We don't stand in the way of players, ultimately. And I think that's an important part of our overall strategy is to to know that there is a pathway, uh, for players to know that there's a pathway anyway. Um, so, yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried about him going because, obviously, if we if City or anyone else throw ridiculous money at him, at us, then it turns it, it, it's going to be hard to turn down. The word is we're, we're looking for a 65 mil plus. Um, that's how much that's how much we'd be wanting for for him to go anything less I think people would be wasting their time quite honestly well but, yeah um, I mean you say Kukurea could leave that's not guaranteed Basuma going is done he's moved on to Tottenham 
So in terms of where Brighton need to strengthen this summer before the season begins in a few weeks' time, I presume it is a central midfield player to replace Basuma, or are there any other areas that maybe that you need to look at? Um, well, assuming Kukurea doesn't go, um, we, we're probably okay defensively, except for possibly a backup, actually, as a left-back anyway. We've got Solly March can cover there, and one or two others can move across, but we could probably do with a, a decent young backup there. Um, possibly another centre-back, um, because um, I think it depends what we're doing with Shane Duffy. Get the impression he may not stay, not sure, um, because he doesn't really get too many games, and I'm sure he'd want to get more. So possibly a centre-back. Um, again, this would just be squad fleshing, uh, fleshing out type of stuff. Um, I think central midfield is going to be interesting because technically we don't need to replace him because we've already, again, I've talked about succession planning. We've already brought in players that are the long-term successors to Basuma. We've got, in, to one degree, Mwepu, who's a really good player, um, Zambian, who's, who's finding his way in the team still, but he's generally been okay uh, slash very good. Um, but the main one is Caicedo, the Ecuadorian, already international. It's probably easier for a Spanish player than a South American player to do so. Um, but he's come directly from there to, well, via a loan spell in Belgium, which didn't work out anyway because the club was a head case. <laughs> so he came back to us and pretty quickly got into the team. And he looks like he'd just been there for years. And he's only young as well. Um, so he's got a hell of a career ahead of him. Um, Moises Caicedo, his full name. Um, he, he is a fantastic player. Um, I think arguably he's gonna, he will be our best player, I think, in the longer term. As, again, as long as we can keep him. We'll see, we'll see how long he'll stay with us. Um, but with him and Wepu in there, and one or two other players coming back into the equation, uh, one of, we had Alzate's had an injury, he might come back into it. Um, there might be some other plans. We've also got um, Kozlowski, who's probably more of an attacking player, actually. Um, but he's he's one of a number of players we've signed and loaned out to Belgium. Um, we've got him coming back. Mitoma, a uh, Japanese international uh, who plays attack or wide, wide left attack. And uh, obviously Undav, who we signed and also loaned out to Belgium. Um, all of these went to USG, uh, the uh, well, the league champions before the playoffs anyway in Belgium, um, which is Tony Bloom's other club. Um, surprise, surprise. Um, but that's been a really useful sounding board for them to, to get experience. They're all coming back in. So the area people might say is attack. Um, but actually, I think we're probably sorted. At least we're going to see how it goes uh, in terms of that for this coming season. Because we've, but Danny Welbeck's going to stay on, I think. And we've got more pay. And obviously with Undav coming in, plus these wide attackers, we should be well served there at least. Um, but yeah, possibly more midfield cover for Basuma, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right in everything you say there. You know, Kasper Kozłowski is a, a really talented young Polish player, I think already plays in the national team, someone who's really looked at in Poland as, as the potential next big star. And, you know, the, the Royal Union team who have qualified for the Champions League, I think, from the Belgian league this season have done really well, which are also owned by Tony Bloom. So, yeah, certainly building blocks and benefits there from a Brighton perspective. So your opening game of the season is against Manchester United on the 7th of August, only a few weeks away now. What are your hopes for the new campaign, Russ, after your highest ever finish in a season? Are you expecting more of the same or is it going to be a slightly bumpier ride, do you think? Well, I think, you know, the booing thing you said with Ryan Potter, I think a lot of it is about expectations, how quickly they change. And sure. I think for most Albion fans, we're trying to keep our feet on the ground and realise that fantastic though that season was we can't assume we're going to do the same or better um however i do believe um that we will do as well this season um slightly worried if kukureya did go that might upset the apple cart a bit but i think by and large i think we could do as well this season as last year and that's mm -hmm. taking into account the fact newcastle are going to go flying up the table probably and they're one of the teams that were below us this year um but i still think we can finish top half which has been tony's mid-term plan uh, for the club once we got it settled in the Prem was to get established in the top half. Um, I think we'll do that again. It might be, I th I'm, I'm going to say ninth or 10th, actually. We finished ninth last year. Um, but there's that, there's every possibility we could go higher, actually, Liam, I could, because I think um, it, it's difficult to gauge how, how good Potter can be, how good the mm. players can be. There's a lot of younger talent developing and I think we surprised a few people, including ourselves, last season. Um, we could do the same again this year. 
Brilliant stuff. And I'm sure if you are a Seagulls fan listening to this, there will be plenty more to discuss on the Brighton Rock podcast, which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You can get it wherever you do listen to your shows, whether that's Spotify or Apple or anywhere else. Russ, it's yourself and Peter, isn't it, who, who do the show? Tell us about the podcast, how long you've been doing it for and how much you enjoy it. Yeah, we started, um, we called the first episodes the um, the, the Roaring Twenties, I think, because we started right at the beginning of uh, 2020 in January. Um, I've known Peter for a few years now, and we're both London-based um, Albion fans um, who are members of a supporters group up here, and that's how we know each other. Um, and he's a big talker, so I'm, <laughs> can't stop ourselves. So we thought, <laughs> mm, we could probably put this to some other benefit. Um, so we decided to, um, well, I asked him if he wanted to do it, and he, he was up for it. So we started that in 2020. We've, we're about 230 episodes in now nearly I think it is and um, we've really been enjoying it we've managed to get some guests who've been uh, really interesting and exciting ex-players like Mark Lawrence and Steve Penny uh, Michelle Kuypers who are all players from different eras at the Albion um, we've had um, journalists authors um, etc and loads and loads of Albion fans which was part of the motivation for me to get as many voices on the air at least once um, talking about their stories as we could and we've had we had so many people on but we're loving it yeah we've, we've really been enjoying it and uh, no plans to stop anytime soon and um going to keep going with it uh, yeah it's been great great to chat to you russ good luck for the rest of the season or the new season i should say thank you same to you football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk